We're continuing our journey through James today. I'm really excited about what God has for us. Uh, we'll see what happens here. So far, it feels like Saturday night and the first service were completely different sermons almost. So we'll see what you guys get. It's a, it's a grab bag, who knows? Um, but uh, we're continuing our journey through James this morning. James hasn't been very easy on us, right? Uh, James, the, the epistle of James, the letter that James writes to the church, uh, he opens up with both barrels from the, from the outset and he never lets up for the entire length of the letter. I mean, he just is hammering away at us. And, and uh, James is, is only 108 verses long. It's an interesting fact about it. James is only 108 verses long and 54 of them contain commands. So a, a full 50% of James's letter is commands to the church. These are the things you must do. And James just doesn't let up. And he's very passionate about, and he's very concerned with this one thing. He's very concerned with the idea that what we say we believe and the way that we live ought to line up with one another. From the very beginning of his letter, he starts out and he talks about this idea that we should be, not just be hearers of God's word, but doers also. And he's saying that what we believe should have an impact on the way that we live our lives. And I think in fact that James would argue that the way that we live our lives actually reveals what we truly believe. And so what James is calling us to is a life of radical faith in who God says he is. And he's calling us to live our lives in ways that say, God, I believe that you are who you say you are. I believe that you can do what you say you will do. I believe, Lord, that you are the God of the universe. And I will live my life in ways that reflect that. I will live my life in ways that say, I believe that your word is true. I believe that you are true and that you are trustworthy. He's insisting that if we propose, if what we propose to believe doesn't express itself in the way that we live our lives, then we don't truly believe it. That's a tough pill for us to swallow sometimes, right? It's a tough thing for us to come up against the, the idea maybe that if I'm not trusting God in a particular situation or if I'm not trusting God uh, in, in a particular area of my life, that what that may actually reveal about me is that I don't believe that God is who he says he is that I don't believe that his power and his strength and his ability can reach to where I am, or I there's something in me that is causing me to withhold that thing from him. So either I don't believe who he says he is, or I am, for whatever reason, actively withholding something from him because I'm not yet ready to surrender that thing to the Lord. And that's the thing that James is continuing to get at, and that's really what he begins to really hammer hammer at in the text that we're gonna read today. I wanna ask you to do something today. Can you stand with me as we read God's word together? This is James chapter four. We'll begin reading in verse number 13. He says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows to do the right thing to do and fails to do it, to him it is sin. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. 
Lord, we thank you that every word of scripture is profitable to us for reproof and for correction, for doctrine, for instruction in righteousness. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us today with humble hearts and with open minds to receive your word for us. Let us be changed and shaped by it. Let us be a people, Lord, who are made in your likeness and in your image. I pray, God, that we would be increasingly molded and shaped to be more like you. And Lord, that you would tear down everything in us that would resist the truths of your word. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would pursue you with all that we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen. Amen, you can be seated, thank you. You know, after Pastor Dick preached last time, I went right out and I bought myself one of those MyPads that he had. I could not figure that paper contraption out for anything, so I went right back to the iPad. And uh, I'll just let that sit for a minute. It's just too good. I'm three services in, I'm a little parched, so I may drink a little more than I need. Um, Taken to drinking, pray for me. Um, <clears throat> But James is very insistent and he's very passionate about this idea that our lives, the way that we live and what we say we believe actually line up with one another. And, and again, he doesn't, he doesn't ever stop and he continues this same thought and he continues and he begins to really get down to where the rubber meets the road, right? As if he hasn't already. But he really begins to drill down a little deeper into it and he begins to talk about what's at the root of that problem. What's at the root of that difficulty in our lives? Why it is that there seems to be this separation and this dichotomy between what we say we believe and the way that we live our lives. And so he starts to get down and talk about what this illusion of control that we like to try and maintain. And so he talks about these people and he says, you who say today or tomorrow will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. And he's talking about the plans that we make. And he opens the sentence with this come now. And that seems really formal to us. We don't really say that these days. We don't go, oh, come now. You know, we don't really do that anymore. It would be more akin to what we would be like, come on, dude. Like, or the, if you're a Fox Sports, you know, come on, man. It's that kind of thing. It's like this, uh, it's, it's because he's, re, he's revealing this, this dichotomy, right? And this separation and this disconnect between the way that we live our lives and, and the way that we ought to live our lives or the what we say, we, how we say we believe we ought to live our lives even. It's not just how we ought to live our lives, it's the way that we declare we ought to be living them or the way that we declare we are living them. And he's revealing this disconnect. And so he's going, come on, you know, you, you say one thing, you say this, you say, I will go and, and we're gonna go and do this today or tomorrow. We'll go into such and such a town. We'll spend a year there. We'll trade, we'll make profit. But you don't even know what tomorrow will bring. And so he's talking about this pride that we have in our own ability to control our lives. This pride that we take in thinking that we are the master of our ship, that we are the one who gets to steer, that we are the one who gets to choose the direction of our lives. And we, we love to be planners, right? Are any, any of you planners? My wife is a planner. Um, my wife had our entire lives planned before she ever met me. It's amazing. She had the names of our children picked, our little pink house, you know, 
Uh, not not a precast, really, but John Mellencamp, anybody? Um, but but she's a planner. Like she's meticulous about her calendar, and and not only is she meticulous about keeping the calendar, she can like rattle that thing off without even looking at it. She knows like she. I mean, it's amazing to me because if I'm not staring straight at it, like if if I look at my calendar and then walk to the next room and you ask me what I have later today, I can't tell you. Uh, Jennifer says that I can remember the gestation cycle of an elephant, but I can't remember to take out the trash. And it's pretty true, Uh, I won't deny it. Like if it's not right in front of me, I have a hard time dealing with it or remembering it or holding on to it. Uh, But I remember the craziest random facts for for no reason at all. Um, It's the things that stick in your brain, right? But even if you're like me and you're not a great planner in that sense, we all like to think at least that we are in control of our lives, that we are the ones who are steering the ship. And James is going to come in direct opposition to this idea. And what he's going to say to us is this is not the way that believers ought to live. This is not the way that those who are following Christ should approach life. This is not the way that we should view things. This is not the way that we should govern our lives. This is not the way that we should go about making our decisions. And these folks had made a really good plan. Like if you look at it, I mean, James, they laid it out. They had planned the time, right? Today or tomorrow, we're gonna leave right? We'll go into such and such a town. So they had planned the place. They had, you know, they had, you know, done a market study and they were like, hey, you know, the next town over, things are really happening over there. If we're going to start a business, we should do it over there. So they, they had a really good business model, right? They had set some goals. They said, you know, uh, it's going to be for a year, right? We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go there for a year. We have some goals in mind. These are our short-term goals. This is our goal for the year. This is what we're going we're gonna to go over there. We're going to set up shop. We're going to do that. They said we're going to buy and sell. We're going to trade and make a profit. So they had chosen the means for how they were going to accomplish this, and they had a result in mind. We're going to make a profit. This is, this is our plan. And then James says, but you don't even know what tomorrow is. Now, let me pause to say this. It's not evil for us to plan. In fact, the scripture would tell us that we're evil if we don't plan. Jesus said, if a man wants to build a tower, he must first count the cost. And so it's not that James is railing against the idea of us making plans. It's not that James is is saying that we shouldn't be organized. It's not that James is saying that we should just be cavalier about the way that we live our lives. But what James is insisting on is that as believers, we don't plan in the way that the world plans. As believers, as followers of Christ, we don't govern our lives in the same way that the world does. That every aspect of our life should be surrendered and submitted to the Lordship of Jesus. That we should be consulted him first, and I, maybe I should stop moving around so much. My microphone wants to fly off of my face. Um, let, me, let me pause. How does Mel do this? Like it stays on his head all the time. Uh, but but that we should live our lives that every moment, that everything that we do should be surrendered and submitted to the Lordship of Jesus. That, that we come to that place where we go, Lord, my life is not my own to govern. My life is not my own to choose the direction and the place that I should go. It is yours first. So Lord, I will seek your face. I will seek your guidance. I will not be cavalier in the way that I live. I will not think that I am the one who is the master and, and commander of my destiny, but I will lay that at your feet and I will say, Lord, whatever it is that you want for me, that is my desire. Whatever it is that you have chosen, that is what I will do. 
but we tend to fall into the same pitfall that these folks fell into, and that is this kind of the pitfall of the I wills. Right? We rely on our own strength. We rely on the arrogance of our own limited knowledge. We often um, have this pride of independence. And what that is, is our tendency to exalt ourselves into the place that God should occupy in our lives. And this goes all the way back to the very beginning, the very first temptation, right? If you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, the very first temptation is this. God said, do this, right? God said, don't eat of the tree, And what that is, is God saying to Adam and Eve, I get to choose what is best for your life. I am the one who knows what is right for you. I am the one, right? And then so the serpent comes and says, did God really say you can't eat of that? You know, he only said that because he knows that if you eat it, you'll be like him. Don't you think you should be the one who gets to decide? whether that's good or not. And we fall into that same trap. And that is, it it really is the root of all sin. It's where it all begins. And so as James is going through his epistle, he gets to this place and he really begins to drill down into the underlying cause of all of this. And it is that pride that exalts itself against the obedience of Christ. And it's that thing in us that says, I am the one who gets to decide. I am the one who gets to choose. I am the one who knows what is best for me. I am the one. And and it rails against and it, it, it rises up against the, God's lordship in our lives. And so James says, this is not the way it ought to be among God's people. That we should live our lives in a way that is markedly different than the rest of the world. That we should live our lives in such a way that brings honor and glory to the name of Jesus. And sometimes people won't understand it. Um, I, told the, I told the 9.30 service this morning, I probably wouldn't have called myself to Indiana, Pennsylvania. And that's nothing against Indiana. I love this city. It's a great place. But before I, before I got a phone call from Mel, I had never even heard of, of Indiana, Pennsylvania. And, and beyond that, I, I enjoyed living in a large city. We lived you know, in the Kansas City metro area and man, there's access to all kinds of stuff and great barbecue. I, I miss barbecue. Can I just tell you, I really miss Good barbecue. I got to have some last weekend when I was away. It was wonderful. Oh. Um, but, but I would not have called myself to Indiana, Pennsylvania. And there would, be, there would be those who would say, why on earth would you move your family there, right? I mean, we already lived a pretty good distance from our parents, Jennifer and I, uh, and then we moved twice as far from them as we were before. And we came to a place that we didn't know anyone and we you know, came on staff at a church with a pastor who'd only been there for six months and you know, everything was changing and everything was new. And, and on the surface, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And sometimes God will call us to do things and ask us to do things that to the world won't make a lot of sense. And, and And sometimes it doesn't turn out the way that it did for my family. Like this has been the most incredible experience for us. Um, And and I'm 
blown away that God's called us here, but sometimes it doesn't always turn out that way. And third service, third sermon, this is so different than any of the other two. Uh, but this is what God wants for us, so we're gonna go, go with it, all right? Um, sometimes it may not turn out the way that you think it ought to. Uh, one, of the, one of the great stories in the history of the church, uh, and just a phenomenal story, um, but it always is in hindsight, right? Um, but Jim Elliott was, was a missionary uh, who they were some of the first missionaries to encounter some of the, uh, some tribes in South America. And so they knew that the tribes would probably be hostile to outsiders. And so the plan was that they would fly over, they would drop care packages down to the people food and things like that to let them know that we, you know, we come in peace, <laughs> that whole kind of thing. And that after they had continued to drop these care packages and hopefully made inroads into the, the community with the natives and they would land their plane on uh, the, the river there and then they would present the gospel. And so they were carrying out their plan and they were dropping the care packages and, um, so they, they finally the time came for them to land the plane and to, to get off and you know, hopefully be able to present the gospel. And they landed the plane and got out of the plane and immediately were attacked by the natives and killed and their bodies were thrown into the river. Now that didn't turn out so well for Jim, right? But that's not the end of the story. So, Jim's wife, rather than packing up and going home, decides that she's gonna continue the work. Now, number one, the world would think it was crazy to go in the first place, right? If God says go and, and the world doesn't understand that, then the, the people think that's crazy for you to go. But Jim and his family went and then Jim dies and not only does his wife not come home, she continues to try and reach out to the people who killed her husband. Now that's, that's unbelievable to us, right? And the, and the world says that's crazy, that's insane, but that's what she continues to do. So she continues to work. And in fact, even the other missionaries who were there working with her encouraged her to go home. She said, no, we're, we're continuing the work. So they did the same thing again. They continued to drop the care packages and they continued to try to make connections with the people. And so Jim's, Wife goes in and um, this amazing thing happens, right? She's able to begin to talk with the tribe and with these people and here's why. So there's a custom among that people group that if someone's blood was shed on their ground that their story had the right to be told. And so it was the fact that Jim had given his life that opened the door for the gospel to be able to go in and for those people to be able to hear the message of Christ. 
And not only were they able to speak with that people group, but because their bodies had been thrown into the river, their blood touched every community down the entire river and it opened up the entire continent of South America for, God, for the gospel to be preached and for, the, for Jesus' name to be spread and for his fame to be known and for lives to be made different. And what I'm trying to say to you today is that God may call you to do some things and ask you to do some things that to the world will seem ridiculous, that to the world might seem crazy. And even for you in that moment, it may not turn out the way that you thought it ought to. It doesn't always come out the way that we think it should. But if we trust that God is sovereign and if we trust that God really is who we say he is and we surrender and we submit our plans to him and go, God, no matter what the circumstance says and no matter what tomorrow brings, I know that you are in control and I know that your plan is good and I will continue the work that you have called me to do no matter the hardship, no matter the circumstances, no matter the trial, no matter the situation, my life belongs to you. You are the master and commander of my faith and I will trust in you no matter what. And I promise you that if we will do that, that God will make good on his promise, which says that he will work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But it requires of us a willingness to lay down that thing in us that says, I get to control my life and say, Lord, you are the one who gets to choose. You are the one who gets to decide. Spend my life in whatever way you see fit. But we fall into the trap of I will. And can I just, can I just show you where that comes from? We, we talked about the garden and the fact that that comes from you know, that, that that was the first temptation that Satan brought to the woman, but it even goes back further than that. And Isaiah talks about it in Isaiah chapter 14. And Isaiah is talking about when Satan was cast out of heaven. Um, and so Satan, whose name was Lucifer, um, was an angel and was in charge of all the music in heaven, which I don't, I don't know how I should feel about that. But, uh, but in Isaiah chapter 14, uh, Isaiah is, is writing about when, when Satan was cast out of heaven, and he says, how, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend to the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. So do you see where that, that I will thing comes from? It finds its root in, in that thing, that, that rebellion against God, the thing that got Satan, uh, Satan cast out of heaven in the first place. He said, I will exalt myself against God. I am the one who gets to decide. I, you know, it's that I, I, I thing. And we all wrestle with that. We all struggle with that. It is the nature of sin. It is the, the very root of what sin is, is that thing in us that says, I get to sit in God's place. And James is concerned that we understand where that comes from and that we don't make the plans of our life based on that inclination, but that we make the plans of our life, that we surrender and submit the plans of our life to the Lord, knowing that he can be trusted, knowing that his plans are good, knowing that his purposes are higher than ours and understanding that no matter what I might dream or imagine or what goals I may have set for myself, that in the end, it falls far short of what God has for me. You see, we, 
we get hung up on things like money and possessions and influence or, you know, whatever, pleasure, right? Some of, some of us are, are running after pleasure and some of us are run after money and some of us run after possessions and some of us, whatever it may be, whatever that thing is that I think I must have to have fulfillment in my life, always will fall far short of what God has intended for me. Because none of those other things can ever bring contentment or joy or peace. They are fleeting things. You know, in, in our culture, we, we celebrate the quote-unquote self-made man. Can I tell you something? The self-made man is just the last idol to fall. Because in the end, none of us can really make anything of ourselves. Except a mess. We're pretty good at that. the pitfall of I will and the neglect of what is good. The apostle Paul talked about this. He said, the thing that I want to do, I don't do. And the thing that I, uh, that I do is the thing that I don't wanna do, right? And we understand that. We understand that struggle. We understand that wrestling. And this is the thing that James is, is getting at as well. It's that tendency for us to to know what we ought to do, but not do it. And so James, in light of that, goes, but what is your life? We're, we're wrestling for control of something that is a mist and is here for just a little time and then vanishes. You know, for all of us, I mean, the longest of lives really isn't very long. And especially when we consider that consider them in the light of eternity, right? The, the longest of lives isn't that long. We don't have that long in this world. And I don't know about you, but I want to live my life in a way that matters, in a way that counts. And not just in a way that, that, that I can, you know, leave something behind that people remember me by. Because really, even that is... Solomon would have said, it's vanity. It's a chasing after the wind. In fact, you know, Solomon talks about that a man works all of his life and he accumulates all this wealth and he dies and then somebody else spends his money. What is that? And what is it in us that causes us to believe and to think that that somehow is significance? And so I look at all of that and, I, and I, I have to be honest with myself and say, you know, Todd, there are times that you're pursuing that thing rather than what you ought to be pursuing, which is things that are of eternal value, right? So to truly see every life made different. So we neglect what is good. And at the, at the end of the day, the, the thing is, the thing that James continues to, to hammer on is that our actions reveal our belief. Our actions reveal our belief and our belief always influences our actions. Hudson Taylor, he was a, a, another missionary. He had some really strong convictions about this thing that we're talking about today. And he basically said that there are three ways, three ways of living. 
there are three ways of going about life. One is we can make our best plans and try to carry them out in our own strength. That's the way that the world lives, right? And uh, number two is we can make careful plans and ask God to bless those plans, right? So, I, so it's kind of halfway there, right? I can, I can go ahead and make the plans that I wanna make and then just ask God to bless what I'm doing. Or the third thing, he said, yet another way of working is to begin with God, to ask his plans and to offer ourselves to him to carry out his purposes. And that's the way I wanna live, right? That, that I consult God first, that, that my first question is, Lord, what is your will? What is your purpose? What is your design? What would you have for me? And then, and then offer myself to carry out his purpose, even when the world may think it's crazy, even when, the, even when circumstances say it might be that I'm out of my mind, right? And, and, and let me just comfort you in this and saying that God's not gonna ask you to do ridiculously stupid things, right? Um, it's, when, we, when we talk about risk-taking for God, we sometimes, I think, have in our minds that God's just gonna ask us to just to do these Not, not just crazy things, but foolish things. Do you, do you understand the difference? And, and I wanna encourage you and to say this this morning, God's not gonna call you to do foolish things. But he is going to challenge and call you to do things that will stretch you and things that may not seem to make sense to you and things that definitely won't make sense to the world, but he will do so for his glory and for your good. He will do so so that you might be shaped and molded like him so that you might learn to trust him more fully and more deeply and you might be able to rest in the knowledge of his sovereignty over everything. And that's where James is pushing us to, that we get to that place where we recognize God's sovereignty over everything. And so we continue to plan, but we consult God first in it. And we continue to try to do the best that we can to live in ways that are responsible and good and, and, and all of those things, but they are submitted to God with the recognition that God at any time, at any time, at any moment, if you say something different, I am willing to do whatever you ask. I am yours. So I wanna encourage you this morning to do four things. Number one, seek God first. Seek God first. Matthew 6, says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. All of the things in the world that we pursue, money, possessions, pleasure, whatever, whatever, you can add to the list, but all the things in life that we pursue are, are our attempts at purchasing for ourselves or earning for ourselves significance and value and worth and contentment and peace and joy. But the thing about that is none of those are things that can be purchased. But the promise of God's word is if we will seek him we will seek his kingdom and his righteousness, then all the rest of that will be added to us as well. You get what you can't earn. You receive what you can't 
purchase because we find in him what we were created to do and who we were created to be. We find in him the value and the dignity and the worth and the contentment and the joy and the peace that cannot be found anywhere else because we were created for his pleasure. So seek God first, then give your plans to the Lord. Psalm 37, five says this, it says, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will act. See, I think oftentimes what, what, what really is revealed when we don't commit our plans to the Lord is that we're worried that if we do, he won't act on our behalf, but his promise is that he will. Commit your ways to the Lord and he will act. Proverbs 16, three says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. You see the order there? It's not make my plan and then commit it to the Lord. It's commit your plan to the Lord, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Proverbs 19, 21 says, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. You see, the, the thing in all of this, you know, when, when, the, when, when God reveals sin in our lives, and by the way, that's what all of this is about. That's why at the, the, in verse 17 of our text this morning, James says, whoever knows to do the right thing and fails to do it for him, it is sin. What James is getting at is that is, he's revealing the sin in our lives, which is to make our plans in absence of God, right? But when God reveals sin in our lives, uh, we, we often have this, this kind of guilt response to it, right? We wanna hide from God as a result of that, or we, we have this, this shame reaction, but that's never God's intent in revealing the sin in our lives. He certainly wants to convict us of it, and he certainly wants us to lay that thing aside, but he wants us to lay that thing aside for the better thing. And the better thing here is that when we trust in the Lord, when we commit our ways to the Lord, when we give it to the Lord, his purpose is established in our lives and things that are eternal and things that will not pass away and things that cannot be taken from us, things that cannot be stolen from us, things that are divine are placed in us. See, God's desire for us is that we experience the best life possible. And that life is a life that's surrendered and submitted and committed to his way. So seek God first, give your plans to God and then do what you know to do. Again, in verse 17 that we just read, whoever knows to do the right thing and fails to do it for him, it is sin. Right? And we hear this applied broadly. Like I know for me as a, growing up in church, I heard this verse quoted a lot, you know? Um, and, and it does have a broad application, but James is talking about it in a very specific sense here. And that is this one thing that if I know that I should be consulting God about every decision of my life, if I know that I should be submitting my plans to him, that I should be seeking him first, that he should have the place of preeminence and priority and authority in my life. If I know that that is the right thing to do and I am not doing it, then that is sin. You see, sin is not just the things that we do, it's also the things that we fail to do. In Philippians chapter three, Paul is kind of talking about this same thing. And he says, it's not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect. And I don't know about you, but that's super encouraging to me that the apostle Paul said, hey, I don't have all this together yet either. I mean, when you write essentially two thirds of the New Testament, you would think he kind of had it all together. 
But he says here, he says, it's not that I, I'm not perfect, guys. I don't have all this together yet. But, that's a big word. Um, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus has made me his own. And that's the idea behind all of this, guys. Man, when, when, we, when we're confronted with the sin in our lives when, and when the Holy Spirit comes to convict and to, to, to t- talk to us about the things that need to change in our lives, it's in response to what Jesus has already done, that we should be pressing to make these things our own because Jesus has made us his own. We are secure in him. Our place is secure in him, but he wants us to not just know that we are, uh, are secure for in our eternity, right? It's not that he wants us to just go to heaven. It's that he wants us to experience life now. He said, I come that you might have have life and have it to the full, right? You might have it more abundantly. So I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. So again, he's saying, I don't have all this together yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so for you and for, I, for me, the same should be true for us. We can forget what yesterday was, right? I can't change my yesterdays. I, I, I forget what lies behind. I'm pressing on for what is ahead. I may not have given God first priority in everything yesterday, but I'm determined today that I will do so, that every plan will be submitted to him, that every moment will be committed and surrendered to his lordship. So I press on, I press forward to what lies ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. Jesus. And he says this, he says, let those of us who are mature think this way. He says, this is the way we ought to live our lives. And if any of you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. So God, I pray today that you reveal in us the same thing that Paul was praying for the church in Philippi, right? That the ways in which I don't think this way, the the parts of me that aren't yet submitted to God, that God will reveal those to me as well. And then he says this in verse number 16, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Can I tell you that I think that is the key to walking out God's will in your life. We sometimes want God to just lay it all out to us on a blanket and reveal every step of our lives and everything that, you know, I hear people say all the time, man, if God would just show me his will for my life, if God would just show me his will for my life. Well, what Paul says to us here is look, just be faithful to what you've already attained. Do what you know to do. If you know to do the right thing and you're not doing it, James says that's sin. And so the encouragement for us is is to just walk out the things that we know to do. And I think that is the key to knowing the will of God and to walking out the will of God and to, to honoring him with our lives. It's just being faithful to what we've already attained. There's a story of a young man who, uh, who met Mother Teresa and he asked Mother Teresa to pray that he might know God's will for his life. And she said, no. And he was shocked, you know, he was taken aback. And she said to him, I will not pray that you know God's will because the last idol that you are holding on to is comfort. So she said, I, I won't pray that God will reveal his, his will to you because that is simply you seeking comfort. She said, but I will pray that God will give you the faith to trust him when you don't know what tomorrow will bring. 
Micah chapter six, verse eight says this. He has told you, O man, what is good. See, God's not trying to hide it from us. He's not, he's not, he's not hidden from us what it means to walk out his will and to live in his purposes and to live in the way that he's called us to. He's told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? This is what James is getting at. This is God's desire for us, and this is God's purpose for us. This is God's will for us, right? That we walk humbly with him, that we walk humbly before him, that we submit our ways to him and say, God, you are the master and commander of my life. You get to choose how my life is spent. God, spend it in whatever way you see fit. My desire is simply to honor you. So that's what my encouragement for us today is. Seek God first, give your plans to the Lord, do the thing that you know to do, and then lastly, live your life with the end in sight. What happens for us oftentimes is that we get our eyes on temporary things. Life comes at us the bills have to be paid and that next thing is coming up and, and worship team, you can go ahead and come on up. But we, we get our eyes on temporary things instead of living our life with the end in sight. One day, you and I will stand before the Lord and the question that he will ask us won't be, did you leave a good inheritance for your kids or did you get that house you always wanted? Or did you get the promotion or you know, whatever? Did, did you have a lot of fun? That, that won't be the question that he asks, right? That won't be the thing that we are held accountable for. The thing that will matter when we stand before God is if we knew him. Our lives were given to that end, knowing him, making him known. So we're gonna do something a little bit different today. Uh, I ask you to stand with me. This is the first Sunday of the month and we, we celebrate the Lord's Supper together on the first Sunday of the month. We normally would do it earlier in the service, but I wanted to take this opportunity today to do things a little bit differently and ushers you can go ahead and come begin serving the emblems but what I want us to do is to reflect on the life of Jesus because see the the thing about all of this is right is that all of this needs it all lands back on him right he's the example that we look to so when James is talking about the way that we ought to live our lives he's talking about the example that Jesus lived out when he talks about living a life of complete surrender to the will of God, he's, 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 basically, he's talking to us about what Jesus had already accomplished. See, the word of God says that Jesus thought it not robbery to be equal with God, which simply just means that he was equal with God, right? If anybody has a right to choose how his life would be spent, it's Jesus, he's God. 
thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no estate and gave himself for us, right? He humbled himself to death, even death on the cross, the word of God says. The scripture tells us that Jesus never did a single thing that the father did not tell him to do. And so we, we look at the example of Jesus who willingly submitted himself to the father's will even though it took him to the cross. And he did so for us. In the garden, he prayed and you know, he said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That's the kind of radical obedience that God calls us to as well. Here's the good news in all of this today, right? We can look at Jesus and we can be overwhelmed and we go, I can't do that. But not only did Jesus live out the example for us and give himself for us, but the, he then rose from the grave and conquered sin and death. And he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he sent his Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us, to empower us to do the things that he's called us to do. We've not been left alone to do this in our own strength. And so as we hold the emblems today and as we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf, let us also rejoice in the fact that we know that what he accomplished on the cross was not only enough to cover my sin, but it was enough to give me the strength and enablement that I need to live out what he's calling me to live out, that he is more than enough for me. And as we remember his sacrifice, as we remember his example, we say, Lord, give us the strength to live out the example that you've laid out before us. God, we pray that you would help us today, enable us by your Holy Spirit to humble ourselves and to submit our lives in full surrender to you. Trusting, Lord, that even if the moment brings us pain, even if, God, it doesn't work out in the way that we might have drawn it out to, you can still be trusted. That you are accomplishing something in us far greater than we can ever imagine or think. So Lord, our lives are yours. Spend them as you choose. In just a moment, Pastor Dick's gonna come. We're gonna receive the emblems together. I wanna invite you today, if you don't know Jesus, if you're not following the Lord, I wanna invite you to take communion today for the first time as, me, as a way of saying, God, my life is yours. I surrender my heart to you. You and you alone get to choose how my life is spent. So let me start today. Place my trust in you.